0: Good morning at 6 o'clock. I'm Scott Monick. In downtown London, it's mainly cloudy and 11 degrees. The LTC extends free bus fare through the end of May. We'll have details on the way, but first... We'll head over to the Lexus of London Traffic Centre and Nick Van Overloop.
1: Main and side roads are trouble-free across the city this morning. No issues if you're traveling the major highways through the city west to Sarnia and east to Woodstock and Brantford. As always, if you see a traffic tie-up or collision, call us hands-free at 519-931-6098. And now from the Bentley
2: Hearing Services Weather Centre, here's John Wilson. The high of 15 today will be normal for the date, but we do have sprawling low pressure coming through the Great Lakes at a snail's pace. And it's weakening and opening up, so the rain in it isn't steady. It's just more like a few scattered showers today now and more tonight. 15, the high, that's normal for the date and 6 tonight, and then chance of showers again tomorrow before this low trundles off into Quebec. It'll take a long time, partly sunny and 15 tomorrow afternoon, if we're lucky. Otherwise, we wait till Saturday, mostly sunny and a very nice 18, and Sunday, partly sunny and 18. Today's high, 15. Right now we are sitting at 11 degrees. The COVID-19
0: pandemic is taking a major financial toll on London's public transit system. In a unanimous vote yesterday, the London Transit Commission extended its plan to have riders board and exit at the rear of the bus, meaning fares can't be collected. Now the shortfall in revenue has forced the LTC to dip into two reserve funds. And LTC chair Phil Squire tells 980 CFPL the future of the service is unclear.
3: We've used all of our money in terms of our reserves and and money that we have been able to allocate out of our budget, by the end of May, we're going to be in a really tough circumstance in terms of where do we get the money to continue to operate the system. But, you know, there's going to be some hard things we may have to do going forward in June.
0: The LTC has been operating on a reduced schedule and has seen a 30% drop in ridership as a result of the pandemic. The provincial government is expanding emergency childcare for a second time to more essential workers. Another 37 daycare centers are opening to accommodate parents who work in retirement homes, grocery stores, and pharmacies. Childcare centers were closed in March under COVID 19 emergency orders, but 100 were reopened for the children of frontline healthcare and emergency service workers. With jury trials on hold and all in-person court operations shut down for months, the COVID-19 pandemic has forced Ontario's justice system to rapidly modernize. Switching to virtual hearings and electronic filing has brought its own set of growing pains along with concerns about privacy. But participants at all levels of the justice system say there is no returning to an antiquated paper-based model once the restrictions are lifted. And they stress technology will play a crucial role in tackling the massive a backlog of cases the province's already overburdened courts will face when normal operations resume. Graduating from college or university is an important milestone, but amid the coronavirus pandemic, students are missing out on saying goodbye and celebrating that rite of passage. 980 CFL Sawyer Bogdan spoke with graduating students at Fanshawe College and joins us with more.
4: Fanshawe graduate Jordan Broomhead recently finished a four-year bachelor's degree in early childhood leadership. She says it was a bit easier for her to finish school at home, but it wasn't easy not saying goodbye to
5: friends. There was no hugs or um People saying congratulations. There was no like gowns or caps or anything. The people, like classmates, teachers, family members, we were all spending a significant milestone in our life together. And it's like this final degree and this huge milestone. And now these people can't see us like actually succeed. Like
4: others, she's hoping they'll get to celebrate together when this is all over. Sawyer Bogdan, 980, CFPL.
0: A Canadian military helicopter has gone missing off the coast of Greece while taking part in a NATO exercise. The Prime Minister confirmed the disappearance following reports from Greek media that a Canadian military chopper had gone down. Updated reports from the region said one body had been found, but the five others believed to be on board were still missing. And Conservative leadership hopeful Derek Sloan is refusing to apologize for his comments, questioning the loyalty of Canada's chief public health officer, saying instead his remarks about Dr. Theresa Tam have been deliberately mischaracterized by the Liberals. In an email to supporters last week, the Ontario MP criticized Tam's handling of the COVID-19 pandemic, asking whether she was working for China... Asking whether she was working for China or Canada. A motion was reportedly put forward during a phone meeting yesterday afternoon. A motion was reportedly put forward during a phone meeting yesterday afternoon. Demanding Sloan apologize or retract the comments by 6 o'clock yesterday evening. Or risk other MPs using a piece of legislation giving them, not party leaders, the power to oust him from caucus. Time now for sports. Powered by Hanford's Tire and Service, the Hall of Fame has announced that it has canceled the July 26 induction ceremony because of the coronavirus pandemic. Instead, the class will be included with any additional new choices at next year's induction festivities. Derek Jeter's class also includes Canadian outfielder Larry Walker. Time now for a market minute and from the eWorkplace Business Centre, here is Rob Westgate.
6: Canada's main stock index soared yesterday, reaching an almost eight-week high as the energy sector surged, despite producers posting big losses while cutting oil production. Toronto's S&P TSX gained 429 points to close at 15,228. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 532 points, closing at 24,633, while the Nasdaq rose as well, up 306 points, closing at 8,914. Asian markets are in the positive this morning, with Japan's Nikkei finishing up 422 points at 20,193. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong is actually closed for a holiday. And the loonie is trading overseas at 72.04 cents U.S.
0: Coming up next, it's The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL.
7: good morning everybody hope your day is going along nicely on this early morning almost through the work week but a little bit more uh, time to go assuming the work week even means anything to you anymore it does to me although every day is still kind of the same nevertheless Happy Thursday to you all, everyone. Uh, Cloudy showers this morning, then a 60% chance of showers late this morning and this afternoon. High of 15. Showers tonight, low of 6. Partly sunny tomorrow, high of 15. On Saturday and Sunday, looking pretty good. uh, Mostly sunny on Saturday, high 18. Partly sunny on Sunday, high 18 as well. A couple of different, uh, little uh, smaller, well, this first one's not a small item, but um, we'll give more of a headline. And then I want to get into some smaller items before we get into the other stuff of the day. Uh, the LTC, London Transit Commission, uh, met yesterday, and things are not looking good. Uh, they have extended uh, free rides, which is basically boring from the back of the bus, which amounts to a free ride because they can't take uh, fares until the end of May. That was expected they have uh, given up their growth plans they are going into some of their emergency funding to uh, cover all of this and as we've outlined they are uh, positioned to lose at least uh, seven million dollars because of all this could be up to 12 million dollars they are going to need assistance uh, from a higher level of government as we go along with all this just uh, to keep things going and the impacts of this could extend beyond the pandemic So uh, things not looking great for uh, London Transit right now, which is uh, sad to see. But uh, given where we are with the pandemic, not exactly a surprise, but uh, they are among the uh, hardest hit in all of this. This is uh, notable. I mean, this would be notable regardless of the time, but notable, I think, just given what happened in Nova Scotia. We have had uh, two recent cases of someone impersonating police in southwestern Ontario recently. Uh, Both involve uh, the OPP. So a couple days ago, Wellington OPP investigated a report of a man who was impersonating a police officer. Now Essex County OPP are doing the same thing. The uh, search in Essex Essex continues. uh, The search in Wellington County did result in a person being uh, arrested on April 23rd. A woman uh, was uh, pulled over by a vehicle resembling a police vehicle in Lakeshore. Uh, That person ended up uh, uh, being someone who was charged with uh, impersonating a police officer. So, I mean, obviously concerning, but as we were discussing with uh, Rick Robson earlier this week, Executive Director of the London Police Association, it's uh, pretty easy to do this. It's And it's difficult to stop people from doing this. Uh, something I saw out of Georgia is Georgia is reopening their economy right now. But the full-on economy is uh, not open, and even then, just from news reports I've seen, while some businesses are open, lots of people are not going to them just because they're trying to keep their distance from everyone, in the name of social distancing. If you want to get a driver's license in Georgia right now, you don't have a t- you don't have to take a test. So if you're you know 17 years old and you want to get your driver's license, now's the time. Basically, they're going on the honor system, and they're going on your parents. So you still need to have 40 hours of practice behind the wheel, but you're not getting it with an instructor. The presumption being from authorities there is you'd get it with your parents. So your parents, if they say you've had your 40 hours, you're good to go. bit risky, I would suggest. (laughs) Now, that said, uh, a lot of people go through the uh, driving system and still don't know how to drive, but I'd still prefer people uh, try to do that before just faking it till they make it behind the wheel. Uh, Disney uh, sparked a lot of backlash recently. They have uh, agreed to a terms of use for uh, May the 4th. May the 4th coming up next week, it's, you know, May the 4th being like May the 4th. And so Disney has got a Disney. So they have tried to claim ownership of the tweet May the 4th. They have given the insu- they've insinuated that people who use the May the 4th hashtag have legally consented to letting them use and or share their content. Sharing their updated terms of use, Disney Plus wrote, by sharing your message with us using May the 4th, you agree to, uh, you, you agree to our use of the message and your account name in all media and our terms of, terms of use here. So, of course, they do. And just uh, because, uh, why not? This is 2020 and crazy things happen. There's a guy from Colorado who won two $1 million jackpots by playing the same number. So use the same lottery numbers twice and won $2 million. I don't know how you decide to go back and use the same numbers after you just won. Like, you're either crazy or you're brilliant or you're both. But this guy did it. And he's $2 million richer, so congratulations to him. Maybe I should... Uh, well. I got to win first before I can win a second time. And I got to play first before I can even win first. But a guy by the name of Joe B. in Colorado, $2 million richer. Kudos to him. Yeah, jerk. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll have more of the morning show with Devin Peacock and Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Cloudy uh, showers this morning, 60% chance of showers late this morning and this afternoon. High of 15 showers tonight, low of six. Your weather forecast, courtesy of Bentley Hearing Services. Let's take a look at some of the COVID-19 headlines uh, for this morning. Four more people have died, including three at a local senior's home, while nine others have tested positive for novel coronavirus. Officials with the Middlesex London Health Unit reported Yesterday brings the total number of confirmed cases in London and Middlesex to 393. We're getting uh, close to a big round number of 400. We have a total number of deaths of 36. Health officials reported 11 people have also recovered, bringing the total to 212 That's about 59% of the cases. Health Unit said one of the cases and two of the deaths, a man in his 60s and a woman in her 90s, were associated with long-term care homes, while one death in a man involving his 70s was associated with a retirement home. The Health Unit does not say at which facilities the deaths occurred. A fourth death involving a man in his 80s was not associated with long-term care or retirement homes. Health unit figures show eight of the new cases were confirmed in London. 364 total have been in London. The other was reported in Middlesex Centre. That's uh, where seven cases have been reported, all told. Elsewhere, 15 cases were reported in strathroy Caradoc. Four have been reported in Thames Centre and three in North Middlesex. Seniors facilities now account for at least 109 of the region's cases and 20 of the deaths. 68 cases have been reported at long-term care homes involving 47 residents and 21 staff. 41 cases have been reported at retirement homes involving 29 residents and 12 staff. The number of outbreaks that have been declared in London and Middlesex remains unchanged this morning. At 16, 10 are still active. Provincially, at least 181 outbreaks have been declared at long-term care homes across the province. This, according to Public Health Ontario, Ontario reported 347 new cases on Wednesday. 45 more deaths. We now have a total of 15,728 cases. Uh, The good news is that's a 2.3 percent increase over the previous day, which is our lowest growth rate in weeks. More than 60 percent of the total cases, which is uh, just over 9600, are ones that have been resolved. We're almost at a a a marker we do not want to reach, which is the total number of deaths. We're at 996 deaths. So provincially, we will cross that 1,000 threshold today. The number of uh, people in hospital with COVID-19 rose yesterday with the total number of people in intensive care and those on ventilators decreasing slightly. That's the good news. Uh, One of the sad pieces of news from the province yesterday was a personal support worker in the Peel region has died of COVID-19, making the second publicly known support worker who has died in Ontario since the pandemic began. The worker was identified by a services employee's International Union Healthcare spokesperson as 51-year-old Arlene Reed. She provided home care to the uh, VON and their clients the union that represents uh, them is calling on the uh, province uh, for more aid for personal support workers from the onset of the coronavirus outbreak the union says health and safety measures personal protective equipment and uh, protocols have been inefficient for psws in long-term care and hospital settings Canadians are going to get an update today on two of the costliest emergency aid programs the federal government has initiated to help them weather the COVID-19 crisis. The parliamentary budget officer is scheduled to post a uh, costing note on the 75% wage subsidy, a program that the government expects to cost $73 billion dollars. It has been called the largest economic policy in the country since World War II. Yves Row is also expected to post a costing note on the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. It is providing $2,000 a month for four months to Canadians forced out of work due to the pandemic. The government has estimated the cost of that program to be at $35 billion, but has expanded the eligibility criteria several times to add those initially left out including workers earning up to $1,000 per month. So in total, the federal government has poured at least $145 billion into emergency aid. And and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has promised more to come, including for seniors. The $9 billion aid package for post-secondary students was approved yesterday. Trudeau is not expected to announce any new funding today. His briefing today will likely be uh, really all about questions out of this um, terrible situation overseas and the crash of a Royal Canadian Air Force's uh, cyclone helicopter in the Mediterranean Sea late Wednesday. Some experts say without a plan for childcare, provinces won't be able to make their full economic recovery. Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Ontario have presented plans for how they intend to get people back to work, but schools are staying closed at least for the short term. Jennifer Robson, a professor in political management at Carleton University, says without a childcare option, parents have to find someone to care for their kids. She says given gender roles and gender-related pay gaps, mom is likely going to be the one staying home. Uh, that is a good point we need the rapid testing for these recovery plans to really bear fruit but also someone's got to look after the kids and with summer coming up school coming out you know our our traditional summer and summer plans are kind of thrown for a loop here so that is a uh, that is a good point Alberta's Cargill Beef Processing Plant is set to reopen on Monday, just two weeks after a COVID-19 outbreak caused a a temporary shutdown, left one employee dead and hundreds others ill. Officials say the facility will start with one shift and it will have uh, new safety measures. They include barriers in bathrooms, reassigning lockers to ensure enough spacing, and providing buses with protective barriers to reduce the need for carpooling. The uh, province's chief medical officer says on-site inspections have been done and they are being assured it is safe. This has had an impact on the uh, beef production industry, beef supply lines in this country, not just that one case, but some cases in Ontario as well. That is something we will be discussing later on in the program in a little over an hour's time. And finally, Canada's chief public health officer says as some parts of the country slowly begin to reopen for business following lockdowns, it is still important to practice physical distancing and good hand washing. Dr. Theresa Tam cautions the pandemic is not over. And even though things are starting to look better, we need to be vigilant. Some provinces and territories have begun to unveil their reopening plans. As I've said before, I'll say it again. I'll say it again on this show. I like what Ontario's done. Not given any dates. Manitoba's given a date. They've got a date to start May 4th. I think not having dates, especially for Ontario uh, and Quebec, two of the hardest hit provinces, Quebec does have dates, is the way to go just because we do not want to start and then slip and then regress. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Good morning.
0: Good morning at 6.30. I'm Scott Monick in downtown London. It's mostly cloudy. We are sitting at 11 degrees. The province is expanding its emergency child care. We'll have details on the way, but first we'll check in with the Lexus of London Traffic Centre and Nick Van Overloop.
1: Light traffic volume on main roads and intersections for your morning drive. If you are commuting the major highways, the 401, 402 to Sarnia and 403 to Brantford are all moving well. As always, if you see a trouble spot, call us hands-free in the newsroom at 519-931-6098. And now from the Bentley Hearing Services Weather Centre, here's John Wilson.
2: 15 degrees this afternoon as mild air in front of low pressure, which is slowly crossing southern Ontario today will produce scattered showers, but it's weakened to the point where it's not too steady anymore, and uh, 6 degrees and more showers tonight. Also a chance of showers tomorrow morning. Not only is this thing slow moving, it's also very large, although weakened, and partly sunny tomorrow by evening, 15 degrees. The weekend looks great, mostly sunny Saturday, partly sunny Sunday, 18 degrees each. Today's high 15.
0: Right now we are sitting at 11 degrees. The LTC is putting off improvements scheduled for this year until 2021 due to the COVID-19 pandemic. In a unanimous vote yesterday, the London Transit Commission extended its plan to have riders board and exit at the rear of the bus, meaning fares can't be collected. The LTC has seen a 30% decline in ridership during the pandemic and the shortfall in revenue has forced transit officials to dip into two reserve funds. Canada's military was scrambling for answers after losing contact with one of its new cyclone helicopters following reports that at least one person was killed when it crashed into the Mediterranean Sea. The helicopter was deployed on board the Halifax-class frigate HMCS Fredericton and was participating in a NATO exercise off the coast of Greece when the crash occurred. Health Canada has now approved 15 additional COVID-19 testing kits for use in the country. The government has said testing for COVID-19, along with contact tracing, will be a key component in determining how quickly the country's full economy can be reopened. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced the approvals during yesterday's scaled back sitting of the House of Commons. The provincial government is expanding emergency child care for a second time to more essential workers. Another 37 daycare centers are opening to accommodate parents who work in retirement homes, grocery stores, and pharmacies. Time now for sports. Powered by Hanford's Tire and Service, Derek Jeter was a first ballot Hall of Famer a few months ago, but he will have to wait an extra year to be inducted into Cooperstown. The Hall of Fame has announced that it has cancelled the July 26 induction ceremony because of the coronavirus pandemic. Instead, the class will be included with any additional new choices at next year's induction festivities. Jeter's class also includes Canadian outfielder Larry Walker. Time now for a market minute and from the eWorkplace Business Centre, here is Rob Westgate.
6: Canada's main stock index soared yesterday, reaching an almost eight-week high as the energy sector surged, despite producers posting big losses while cutting oil production. Toronto's S&P TSX gained 429 points to close at 15,228. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 532 points, closing at 24,633, while the Nasdaq rose as well, up 306 points, closing at 8,914. Asian markets are in the positive this morning, with Japan's Nikkei finishing up 422 points at 20,193. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong is actually closed for a holiday. And the loonie is trading overseas at 72.04 cents U.S. Coming up
0: next, more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980
6: CFPL.
7: Welcome back to the program, everyone. Good to have you along with us. As you've uh, heard uh, this morning at uh, broke yesterday... A uh, Canadian NATO helicopter has been involved in an incident off the coast of Greece and a search and rescue mission is currently underway in a pair of tweets. Canadian armed forces operations said it lost contact with a CH 148 cyclone, which had been deployed on board the Halifax class frigate HMCS Fredericton. It was participating in allied exercises off the coast of Greece as part of operation reassurance the military said it could not provide further information at this time because the situation was evolving but the armed forces later confirmed in another pair of tweets that they have contacted all primary family members of those who were on board the helicopter and that search efforts continue with our allies in a tweet prime minister justin trudeau said the helicopter had gone missing and that he's been in contact with defense minister Arjeet John regarding the situation. Updates will be provided as uh, soon as possible, he said. Back in January, HMCS uh, Frederickson left Halifax for a six-month deployment around Europe for Operation Reassurance. It aims to reinforce NATO's collective defense and show solidarity with allied countries in Central and Eastern uh, Europe. Uh, so really, that's the mission that's uh, aimed at um, pushing back against Russian aggression in Central and Eastern Europe. Several Canadian warships were involved in the mission. Uh, most were called back due to COVID-19. Uh, HMCS Fredericton stayed. The, um, the vessel has been in Italy it was, so it was in Italy in March. It was scheduled to visit Greece and the Black Sea as one of eight uh, of uh, NATO's uh, Standing Maritime Group 2. It provides military pres- presence in the Mediterranean Sea. The cyclone helicopters replaced Canada's fleet of sea kings back in 2018. They provide air support for Navy operations and and are described as state-of-the-art by the military. In terms of operations, they can be used for everything from conducting surveillance on and below the surface of the seas, search and rescue missions, and tactical support. We were supposed to get 28 of them, but so far we've only received 18. An Associated Press report cited that Greek state TV is saying the helicopter went missing in the sea between Greece and Italy, and that other NATO allied frigates are conducting a search operation. Greek authorities say they have not been asked to help as the area is far off the Greek mainland and outside an area where the country would be responsible for that type of thing. Updated reports from the region say one body has been found, but the other five that were believed to be on board are still missing. So it is a terrible, terrible situation. One terrible situation is out of New York. Uh, There's been a lot of talk out of uh, New York just about how badly uh, the city and the state have been hit by the coronavirus. I don't know if we fully appreciate all the times, though, just how badly it's been hit. We got a reminder of it on Wednesday. Police were called to a Brooklyn neighborhood Wednesday after a funeral home was overwhelmed uh, by the coronavirus. They resorted to storing dozens of bodies on ice in rented trucks. Uh, the problem is the ice melted. A passenger, a passerby complained about the smell. Investigators who responded to a 911 call found that the home had rented four trucks to hold about 50 corpses. No criminal charges were brought, and the official who was not authorized to speak uh, publicly about the investigation told the Associated Press All of this on the condition of anonymity. The Andrew T. Cleckley Funeral Home was cited for failing to control the odors. The home was able to obtain a larger refrigerated truck later in the day. And uh, people could uh, see uh, workers in protective gear loading the bodies into that new truck. New York funeral homes have struggled with at least 18,000 people dying in the city since late March. They set up temporary morgues, Hospitals have used uh, refrigerated tractor trailers to cart away multiple bodies at a time. I just, you know, I I can't imagine what it would be like to have a loved one uh, in that situation where they've passed away and that's what's happening with their remains. And for a funeral home to think that is their best option available, that is what COVID-19 is doing in New York. We've heard of stories of, you know, bodies in hallways, hospitals overrun. that what's happening in New York is what we want to avoid, right? So I'm all for reopening economies when we can do it safely, but we got I'd prefer the slower approach. I'll take I'll take the hit. I'll take the pain now. I desperately want this to be over. man I cannot tell you guys how bad I want this to be over. You know, this this whole experience shows just how, you know, you only get one life to live it, and when you're cooped up inside for all of this, it becomes uh, difficult. But I don't want to make it more difficult and even longer than it has to be. I don't want what's happening in New York to happen in Ontario. We have avoided that by a wide margin, but still. We got to be uh, vigilant with this stuff. There was another story that came out uh, yesterday about the Canadian Premier League. They've joined the CFL and asking for relief funds. They're asking for $15 million in short term financial aid. I don't know how they can that figure. Like, I don't know how the CFL got to $150 million. It's easier to see at least with the CFL, but for the Canadian Premier League, I'm guessing some of you listening right now, all due respect to the Canadian Premier League, didn't even know we had a Canadian Premier League. It's eight teams. They got teams in Toronto, Hamilton, Edmonton, you know, across the country, Winnipeg. I feel for all the, they got a couple hundred uh, full-time employees, about 1,600 part-time employees. You got all the players. I feel for them all, but my opinion for them is the same as the CFL. You're not getting any money. I mean, they might in the end. I'm not the, I, I don't write the checks, but if, if I was, they wouldn't be getting any money. I'm sorry. You're just not. We got way bigger priorities uh, than the CPL and the CFL, and it's harsh, but if the CFL folds, something else will arise from that. The CFL, don't forget, has been around since the 50s. The Great cup Cup's been around since 1909. So something can come from all of this. It would be, unfor- I don't want anyone to lose their job. I don't want anything to fold, but I'm sorry. Like, if you, Especially if you can't repay the money in the CFL's case, they're going to do it through like PSAs. No, nah, that's not happening. So I feel for them. There's probably going to be more coming forward, but... Not everyone's going to get what they want. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the program. Here are some of the uh, not so serious stories we've uh, seen uh, during the uh, outbreak of uh, coronavirus. Weird little thing out of Paris where people are asking if smoking could prevent coronavirus. Hospital in Paris has found only five percent of their coronavirus patients were smokers. So now researchers in France are starting a test to determine if nicotine helps block the virus from entering cells. How uh how weird would it be if the way to get out of coronavirus is we all just pick up a pack of smokes. The biggest nudist organization in England says it has seen a 100% increase in new members since the pandemic began. They think it's because people are trying things out like gardening naked naked and liking it. Are any of your neighbors, uh, you know, going around uh, leaving the blinds open? uh, You know. None of mine are, thankfully. I'm not. I can promise you that. Never gonna. But if that's, uh, if that's your deal, hey, you do you. It looks like the coronavirus cannot be sexually transmitted based on all the reports we hear about people uh, catching it. Uh, seems like uh, sex may not be the only thing to transmit it. Now, this is not uh, full and complete, so do not uh, take this seriously. Researchers from the University of Utah Health say it is unlikely that the coronavirus can be spread via sperm. The study's authors took part in an international project that examined a group of Chinese men who had recently tested positive for COVID-19. They found virtually no evidence that coronavirus invades um, the reproductive organs of infested men. Researchers caution that their work is not being comprehensive enough to definitively rule out the possibility of sex-based viral transmission. Hotel occupancy rates are down 50 to 80% across North America, and that's bad news for bed bugs. So here's something that's good that's coming from the coronavirus. Young bed bugs will die if they don't eat in 20 days. Older ones can only make it a matter of months. So maybe, just maybe, will really put a dent into the bedbug population out there. A baby was born in a supermarket parking lot in England after an ambulance did not stop because when the baby's father tried to wave them down, they thought he was just saluting them for their work. <laughs> uh, well, you know, he, he might have been doing both, I guess. <laughs> oh how nice that meant saluting us while we go to do our job a restaurant in italy is testing on plexiglass table partitions to keep people from spreading the coronavirus while they eat would you want to do that maybe i mean if it helps the restaurant industry i mean i'm i'm, I'm open to ideas Two families in Australia have built a see-through fence between their yards so they can safely hang out. What happens when this is over? Do you take the fence down? You just spend all this money on a see-through fence. Unless it's just like a chain-link fence, in which case, okay. But from what I read in the story, they're not talking about chain-link fence. Here's something that may never happen again. Last week, there were more flights out of Billings Logan International Airport in Billings, Montana, than out of JFK in New York. Billings had 77 flights. JFK had 70. And Miller High Life is running a contest where they will give $10,000 and a wedding at your doorstep to a few couples who have had to cancel their weddings because of the pandemic. Uh, music, biopics are all the rage right now. And um, looks like one on Whitney Houston is in the works. Now, who knows when this is going to happen because of the pandemic. It's probably being slowed down a little bit, but they have a name for it. It's called I Want to Dance with Somebody. It is being done in full cooperation with her family. So it's probably not going to be anything uh, too salacious. But they will get to use all her music, which is a bonus, and I'm sure people are going to eat that up. How are you drinking your coffee during the pandemic? You might be drinking it wrong, and all the people who like the French press are going to hate me for this one. A new 20-year-long study out of Sweden has found that coffee is good for your health and can even help you live longer, but only if you brew it with a filter. If you use a French press or drink unfiltered coffee, it leaves in chemicals they say, can raise some of your your levels, so triglycerides and bad cholesterol levels. But it turns out you've got to brew it the right way to make this all happen. So they found filtered coffee was linked to 15% lower risk of death and between a 12% and 20% lower risk of death from heart disease. So all you French pressers out there, And I'm going to have the French press lobby coming after me, no doubt. 20-year-long study out of Sweden. If you filter your coffee, going to be healthier. Don't get mad at me. I'm just the messenger. One in eight people who are currently locked down with their partner say it's causing them to have some doubts about their relationship. Uh Uh-oh. A new survey found one in eight people are currently locked down and have doubts. That jumps to one in five people when you look at people 25 to 34. Survey also found 27% of people are currently finding their significant other annoying. (laughs) I'm guessing they found them annoying before the pandemic myself. And this is just uh, bringing it to the fore. You know, uh, they always say we had the um, Calgary Stampede I was canceled in Calgary obviously. For this year, Calgary Stampede always less uh, always led to a bunch of uh, divorces because people would get drunk, they would cheat, they would uh do whatever you do at the Calgary Stampede that would lead to you getting divorced. So I think we're just we're just destined to uh, break up and get divorced regardless of what we do. But um Apparently, a lot of people are re-evaluating their ra- relationships. Hope you leave that conversation for the end of the pandemic, not midway through, but that's just me. So again, I'm sorry to all you French pressers out there, but you're doing it wrong. Don't be mad at me. Be mad at Sweden. We'll stop for news. When we come back, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Good morning.
0: Good morning. It's 7 o'clock. I'm Scott Monick in downtown London. It's mostly cloudy. We are sitting at 11 degrees. More financial trouble for the London Transit Commission. We'll have details on the way, but first we'll check in with the Lexus of London Traffic Centre and Nick Van Overloop.
1: Main and side roads are trouble-free across the city this morning. No issues if you're traveling the major highways through the city west to Sarnia and east to Woodstock and Brantford. As always, if you see a traffic tie-up or collision, call us hands-free at 519-931-6098. And now from the Bentley Hearing Services Weather
2: Center, here's John Wilson. The high of 15 today will be normal for the date, but we do have sprawling low pressure coming through the Great Lakes at a snail's pace. And it's weakening and opening up, so the rain in it isn't steady. It's just more like a few scattered showers today now and more tonight. 15, the high, that's normal for the date, and 6 tonight. And then chance of showers again tomorrow before this low trundles off into Quebec. It'll take a long time, partly sunny and 15 tomorrow afternoon if we're lucky. Otherwise, we wait till Saturday, mostly sunny and a very nice 18, and Sunday partly sunny and 18. Today's high, 15. Right now, we are sitting at 11 degrees. The chair of the London Transit Commission
0: says the future is unclear as the COVID-19 pandemic continues to take a toll on the system. In a unanimous vote yesterday, the LTC extended its plan to have riders board and exit at the rear of the bus, meaning fares can't be collected. Chair Phil Squire tells 980 CFPL the LTC has been forced to dip into two reserve funds to offset the loss in revenue.
3: There isn't a money tree for London Transit where we can just go and find money. We have a budget and we're already using reserves and we're using 2020 budget, uh, you know, for, for what was to be expanded routes and industrial service just to get through this pandemic. So I think it's really important people understand that that there's no such thing as free transit.
0: The LTC has been operating on a reduced schedule during the pandemic. A union that represents approximately 60,000 healthcare workers in Ontario says a second personal support worker has died of COVID-19. The Service Employees International Union said yesterday that a female home care worker in Peel Region died from the virus. Union President Charlene Stewart said the worker was employed by several agencies and facilities in the region. The provincial government is expanding emergency child care for a second time to more essential workers. Another 37 daycare centers are opening to accommodate parents who work in retirement homes, grocery stores, and pharmacies. Canada's Parliamentary Budget Officer will be dropping an update later today on the financial cost of two federal emergency aid programs. The PBO will post a costing note on the estimated $73 billion wage subsidy package, which has been described as the largest economic policy in Canada since the Second World War. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, post-secondary school students missed out on saying goodbye to their fellow classmates And now they're missing out on graduations. 980 CFPL Sawyer Bogdan has more.
4: Fanshawe graduate Brittany Saunders, who just finished a two-year police foundations program, tells 980 CFPL COVID-19 is not something she anticipated when she first started school.
5: It definitely was a a stressor um, to not be able to finish out my um, my
4: post-secondary school education in a classroom. Like many other students, Saunders says the end of in-person classes came as a surprise, and she was a little nervous switching to online courses. Now finished classes and with her summer job on hold, Saunders is still holding out hope they'll be able to celebrate their achievements when the pandemic ends. Sawyer Bogdan, 980 CFPL.
0: And Canadians are still awaiting word on what exactly happened to a military helicopter that disappeared while participating in a NATO exercise off the coast of Greece. Local media say the naval chopper crashed between Italy and Greece on Wednesday and one body has been recovered. The Canadian Armed Forces later confirmed that one of their CH-148 cyclones was involved in an accident and that the families of the people on board have been notified. Time now for sports. Powered by Hanford's Tire and Service, Derek Jeter was a first ballot Hall of Famer a few months ago, but he will have to wait an extra year to be inducted at Cooperstown. The Hall of Fame has announced that it has canceled the July 26 induction ceremony. Time now for a market minute and from the eWorkplace Business Center, here is Rob Westgate.
6: Canada's main stock index soared yesterday, reaching an almost eight-week high as the energy sector surged, despite producers posting big losses while cutting oil production. Toronto's S&P TSX gained 429 points to close at 15,228. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 532 points, closing at 24,633, while the Nasdaq rose as well, up 306 points, closing at 8,914. Asian markets are in the positive this morning, with Japan's Nikkei finishing up 422 points at 20,193. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong is actually closed for a holiday. And the loonie is trading overseas at 72.04 cents U.S.
0: Coming up next, more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL.
2: Good
7: morning, everybody. Cloudy with showers uh, this morning, then a 60% chance of showers late this morning and this afternoon. High of 15. Showers tonight, low of 6. We are into the second hour of the program. The COVID-19 pandemic may be dangerous for more than just our health And the economy, with pandemic restrictions resulting in many children spending time online at home. Public Safety Minister Bill Blair said on Wednesday there could be a greater risk of online exploitation. He says the National Child Exploitation Crime Center is aware of the risk and is monitoring the situation. It's not the first time we've heard that warning. Uh, A few days ago, the Canadian Centre for Child Protection said they've seen a 40% increase in tips to their website, cybertip.ca. Uh, Police say predators are using sophisticated techniques to connect with young people wherever they can find them online. And in some cases, uh, they impersonate a youth around the victim's age. As if all that isn't enough, uh, experts also say cyberbullying is on the rise. So if you're a parent, you're looking for some advice, let's get it. Jennifer Flanagan is a is the president and CEO of ACHUA, Canada's largest STEM youth outreach organization. She is an expert on cyber safety and joins us now. I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much.
5: My pleasure. Nice to be here.
7: Uh, kids are online more these days for obvious reasons. Uh, there are some benefits to that with online learning, but uh, clearly we're seeing uh, plenty of concerns as well.
5: Yes. So I think I think what's important to, to first note is is um, that it's okay for kids to be online. We certainly uh, at Actua really um, promote an understanding of digital literacy. We want kids to, to not only use the technology, which we know they're doing in, 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 uh, at a great level, um, but we want them to understand it. We want them to have the skills that they're going to require to actually use technology in the future to do things that are positive. So uh, with them being at home, we know they're spending more time more time online, and uh, it becomes incredibly important that um, online safety is a a topic in in every household where there are devices. So our message to parents is, you know, always, you know, having conversations with kids about online safety, and especially right now when we're seeing the numbers that you mentioned in the intro, which are extremely concerning to us. Um, and which can be prevented, and I think the, the the key message to parents is there is something you can do about it, even if you are not technically literate.
7: Well, you, you can't be, for kids, you can't be, learn how to be safe online if you're not online, to your point, in terms of it's not a bad thing, necessarily, that kids are online.
5: That's right, exactly. So we, you know, we know that they're, they're going to be online. They're doing a lot of things online that we didn't you know we when we were younger we we, we did in re- in real life um so they're talking to their friends online they're reading online they're they're doing research online um all things that are important and especially right now because they are socially isolated. We we want them to have those social connections using, uh, using technology because they're really important for their mental health for all of us, right? Adults and, and, and kids alike. So um, there's, you know, we always say not all screen time is created equal. There are lots of positive ways to engage uh, kids online. But if you are, if you have kids in your house that are online, you need to also make sure that you're talking to them about the basics of online safety. So things like security, passwords that they're using, never, and I think this gets at one of the biggest uh, areas of issue, is never talking to people online that you don't know in real life. So you mentioned one of the examples, and this is what we're hearing a lot, is kids who are, for example, on a video game. So it's not just them going into, um, you know, into more adult social media apps. There's, there's also social media functionality in things like uh, the video games that they're playing where they can get into a conversation with someone who's impersonating um, another eight-year-old or a nine-year-old. Um, so it's really important to have a set of basic rules in your household that are age appropriate um, that really help to ensure that your kids are not getting into into that kind of trouble
7: o oh. One of the problems I would imagine, and this is not a criticism of parents, is, you know, sometimes adults have difficulty with some of the finer points of cyber safety. There's the, yeah. the part about uh, not talking to people you don't know, which is good advice, but there's lots of, you know, websites people can go to that seem secure, that may not be secure, that could lead to some of, you know, a, a site that looks like one that you think is safe but that is not safe. And so sometimes with the parents themselves, we need to be, you know, literate with uh, some of this just to be able to, able to help our kids get through all of this
5: exactly i say all the time um you know to parents and and many of us didn't grow up with this this technology so it's quite intimidating sometimes but it it isn't an excuse for not knowing what your kids are doing online so making sure that you're aware of what you know and, and this again comes through the conversation that you should be having with them just like we say to them you know, what did you do today? Who did you play with? Like, where did you play? What games did you, you know, those, those kinds of typical questions ask them about what they're doing online. And the, the great part is, is that if there are things that parents aren't, um aren't sure about, websites or apps that they're not sure about, there's so much good information online that can help parents kind of evaluate the safety of these types of sites. So it's, it, it takes a little bit of work, but not a ton of work, right? So for example, we know right now TikTok is like, a major um, app of interest. Kids love it, adults love it. We're seeing all kinds of people using it right now for entertainment purposes. Um, And there's a lot of safety concerns about it. And a lot of parents will say, well, I I don't understand it, I don't know. There are some excellent, if you just go to YouTube and search, um, there's some excellent two or three minute videos that explain the security issues or or safety uh, concerns of an app like TikTok and how to help youth 13 plus, to use it uh, appropriately. So there's a lot of tools out there that parents can use, but it takes uh, a little bit of vigilance.
7: It's a good point. Uh, Jennifer, I certainly appreciate your time today. Thank you very much.
5: My pleasure.
7: That is uh, Jennifer Flanagan, President and CEO of Etua, Canada's largest STEM youth outreach organization and safe, uh, cyber safety expert. We need to pause. We come back. We'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the program. Last weekend, the Ontario government announced it would uh, now be considering community gardens to be an essential service. The announcement was made while they extended a state of emergency within the province. A statement released by Premier Doug Ford said local medical officers of health will provide advice, recommendations and instructions that the gardens must now follow to operate. They will include uh, items such as physical distancing and cleaning and disinfecting commonly used equipment and services. On Wednesday, the City of London said preparations were underway to open community gardens within London. The City did ask Londoners avoid going to a community garden for now until they are confirmed to be open. We do have about 450 of them in the City. You may remember we talked to Benjamin Hill, the chairperson of the Middlesex-London Food Policy Council about this earlier this month. He joins us again now. Uh, Benjamin, I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks,
8: Devin, for having me.
7: I'd imagine you were pleased to see the decision over the weekend by the province.
8: Yes, I was very happy for the uh, garden users that bring some uh, some clarity to their, their summer and get them back into the gardens. I'm also very relieved for the province and for the community because uh, this was a uh, they, this seemed to be a step backwards at a very dangerous time, and i 'm very glad that we were able to uh, avoid stepping back, but we still have uh need to step forward.
7: What do you think led to the reversal
8: uh, the The advocacy on the part of sustain Ontario and lots of community members was instrumental in in uh, changing their mind. Um, they had a number of letters they spoke with uh, Health Ontario. Um, and uh, explain to them the situation, that the role that it plays in food security.
7: As we look to move forward, uh, right now the city's advising people not to go to the gardens quite yet. Uh, when do you think uh, people might be able to start going to them?
8: Uh, the city needs to get in there to to do some uh, cleaning and some preparation. In a normal year, it takes them about seven days to do so. Um, it's not clear how long it will take them now because they're they're. Uh, um, uh, short-staffed right now. Um, not everyone is, uh, is working. So, uh, I would hope that they're in place by uh, May
7: 12th. How uh, are you feeling about the restrictions for the community gardens in terms of physical distancing, disinfecting, and everything else that they would like to see happen here?
8: Uh, so I think they, they have a really good plan um, that they're working on. I know that Sustain Ontario consulted with a number of people and we were part of those uh, conversations. Um, and there's a substantial document uh, laying down lots of uh, principles and rules to follow. The uh, uh, health, uh, Ontario Health uh, accepted those and has issued guidelines to the various health units. And the Middlesex London Health Unit is currently reviewing those and working on their own set. Um, but I think that the protocols, they're in line with what's going on uh, around uh, the US and Canada elsewhere. Um, And I think they'll be uh, very effective in in establishing physical distancing and allowing people to get back into the gardens.
7: Do you think physical distancing will be a problem in community gardens, or uh, I mean, we do it already with uh, grocery stores right now in other parts of uh, of the city, so this would wouldn't necessarily be any different.
8: No, it, it shouldn't be any different. One of the big things that. Uh, we've, uh, that Sustain Ontario has suggested people do is avoid holding functions and avoid having family outings in the gardens. Only have people in there that are actually working. In a normal year, people take this as an opportunity to get outside, get some uh, time in the sun, and uh, bring their kids along, bring the dogs along. Um, uh, We're saying not to do that this year. Just go and garden. um, Maintain space from your fellow gardeners. Uh, If need be, uh, the uh, the garden can establish a rotating schedule so that people are in uh, every other plot. Um, but it shouldn't be that hard to uh, establish that. Gardening can be a solitary activity.
7: We do have a lot of them in the city, 450, as I mentioned off the top. How important are community gardens to the city?
8: So they're they're important for the individuals. They're important as uh, helping to alleviate some of the food insecurity uh, around the city. Um, the The... 450 sound like a lot but there's more need than what we have uh, uh a garden space for. They fill up every year and there's a number of other spaces that are not run by the city that also fill up every year. Um and uh this is a year where we would uh, where a number of groups would like to see more people gardening, more people gardening in their yards. A number of groups would like to see greater access to unused lands around the city, vacant lots, uh, unused green spaces um because there's a lot of worry about uh, food uh, insecurity coming uh, this summer.
7: Well, even like, if you do have uh, the ability to garden at your home, uh, gardening can just be nice for a break, you know, from everything that's happening. It could be a nice uh, little mental health escape.
8: Oh, for sure. I mean, there's something really, really primal about the smell of the earth in your nose and the, 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 the dirt between your fingers and um, just being outside with the sun on your back. Uh, it feels really good. It's a good mental health boost. Um, whether you're whether you 're growing food or flowers, but uh, this year in particular, I think people will like to have the fresh food um, fresh tomatoes, fresh lettuce, and they 're easy to grow in in our region.
7: What did you been uh, hearing from uh, community uh, gardeners uh, in in the city up in the lead up to this past weekend 's announcement
8: uh, so we've been hearing um, that there uh, uh, in the lead up to the announcement there was uh some frustration about the announcement. Um, a bit dismay, but since the announcement has come, they're very pleased. Um, The the various gardening groups around the the city and the county are excited to help um, not only get back into their own gardens, but help to expand gardening uh, for others. There's a number of initiatives that are unfolding. Um, They're trying to uh, create garden packets to, uh, to distribute to people around the city. Uh, they're trying to uh, generate uh, materials to help explain what gardening is, to help provide some sort of knowledge to to people and expertise. So it's they
7: are, yeah, they're an important part of the community. Uh, Benjamin, I certainly appreciate your time today. Thank you very much.
8: Thank you for talking.
7: That is uh, Benjamin Hill, chairperson of the Middlesex London Food Policy Council. Uh, here is what this means. Uh, so, for London's community gardens and for registered uh, gardeners, uh, so uh, community gardens on city land will be able to open this season, but only after all public health and operational requirements are met. Gardeners will be required to follow uh, COVID-19 guidelines. And the city says that they are working with the Middlesex Clinton Health Unit to identify any new requirements that will need to be put in place. Since the city moved to minimal operations in response to the pandemic, the gardens were ordered closed with that. They have not been getting them ready to open. So the city uh, said in the release uh, yesterday, they are working as quickly as they can, but they will not be open by May the 1st, which is when they are usually open city says they will share the opening data soon as it can be confirmed and they say uh, gardens will only be open to registered gardeners and will remain closed to the public there are a few plots available if londoners want to register you can do so by going to london.ca slash community gardens that's london.ca slash community gardens gardens we need to pause when we come back we will have more of the morning show with devin peacock on global news radio 980 cfpl good morning
0: good morning at seven i'm scott monick in downtown london it's mostly cloudy we are sitting at 11 degrees A glimmer of hope when it comes to treating patients with COVID-19. We'll have details on the way, but first, we'll head over to the Lexus of London Traffic Centre and say good morning to Nick Van Overloop.
1: Light traffic volume on main roads and intersections for your morning drive. If you are commuting the major highways, the 401, 402 to Sarnia and 403 to Brantford are all moving well. As always, if you see a trouble spot, call us hands-free in the newsroom at 519-931-6098. And now from the Bentley Hearing Services Weather Center, here's John Wilson.
2: 15 degrees this afternoon as mild air in front of low pressure, which is slowly crossing southern Ontario today, will produce scattered showers, but it's weakened to the point where it's not too steady anymore. And uh, 6 degrees and more showers tonight. Also a chance of showers tomorrow morning. Not only is this thing slow moving It's also very large, although weakened, and partly sunny tomorrow by evening, 15 degrees. The weekend looks great, mostly sunny Saturday, partly sunny Sunday, 18 degrees each. Today's high 15.
0: Right now we are sitting at 11 degrees. The London Transit Commission is extending its plan to have riders enter and exit at the rear of the bus through the month of May. The move means the LTC isn't collecting fares and therefore isn't generating revenue. The LTC has seen a 30% decline in ridership during the COVID-19 pandemic and the shortfall in revenue has forced transit officials to dip into two reserve funds. Ottawa has promised a lot of help during the COVID-19 pandemic, and today, Canadians could find out just how much some of that help will cost. The Parliamentary Budget Officer is expected to provide the running total of both the wage subsidy program and the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. Ontario Conservative MP and Leadership Candidate Derek Sloan isn't apologizing for his comments, questioning the loyalty of Canada's chief public health officer. He is staying true to his campaign slogan of being Conservative without apology. A phone meeting yesterday reportedly saw a motion put forward by some Ontario Conservative MPs that demanded he apologize by 6pm for an email to supporters that criticized Dr. Theresa Tam's handling of the COVID-19 pandemic. Just after the deadline passed, though, Sloan issued a statement suggesting his remarks had been deliberately mischaracterized by the Liberals. And the U.S. National Institute of Health says an experimental drug has proven effective in treating patients with COVID-19. Aaron Katursky reports.
7: The flu drug remdesivir has showed promise in a clinical trial, shortening the period patients experience symptoms and slightly reducing the mortality rate. Dr. Simone Wilds at South Shore Health outside Boston and an ABC News medical contributor called it great news.
4: Patients who got remdesivir, um, whether they were treated for 10 days or Five days had similar outcome. They improved.
7: Another study conducted in China questioned whether the drug was
0: useful for the severely ill, but found it potentially useful for others. Aaron Katursky, ABC
7: News, New York.
0: Time now for sports. Powered by Hanford's Tire and Service, Derek Jeter was a first ballot Hall of Famer a few months ago, but he will have to wait an extra year to be inducted into Cooperstown. The Hall of Fame has announced that it has cancelled the July 26 induction ceremony because of the coronavirus pandemic. Instead, the class will be included with any additional new choices at next year's induction festivities. Jeter's class also includes Canadian outfielder Larry Walker. Time now for a market minute, and from the the eWorkplace Business Center, here is Rob Westgate.
6: Canada's main stock index soared yesterday, reaching an almost eight-week high as the energy sector surged, despite producers posting big losses while cutting oil production. Toronto's S&P TSX gained 429 points to close at 15,228. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 532 points, closing at 24,633, while the Nasdaq rose as well, up 306 points, closing at 8,914. Asian markets are in the positive this morning, with Japan's Nikkei finishing up 422 points at 20,193. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong is actually closed for a holiday, and the loonie is trading overseas at 72.04 cents U.S.
0: Coming up next, more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL.
7: Good morning, everybody. I want to talk about uh, Canada's uh, meat supply chains. But to do that, we'll start by talking about the potato industry because Canada's potato industry joins a a growing number of food sectors right now that find itself in crisis. A crisis sparked by the near elimination of demand for French fries. Global News has learned that the Canadian Potato Council, which represents a thousand potato growers across the country, sent a letter Uh, Recently, to the Agriculture and Agri-Food Minister, Mary-Claude B. urging uh, required interventions that the council say are vital to protect the potato industry and food security in Canada. And while the food supply chain right now has to deal with too many potatoes, it may soon struggle with not enough beef, pork and possibly seafood, meat packing plants in Alberta and Ontario are responsible for a substantial portion of Canada's beef and they are uh, shut down or reduced uh, right now because of uh, some outbreaks for COVID-19. As we said earlier in the show, uh, Cargill out in Alberta is going to be reopening on Monday but with reduced shifts. This all raises the question of how our beef supply chain is handling the increased pressure put on it due to uh, COVID-19. Chris Lyons, co- Chris is at uh, Country Cuts. They have a location at uh, Covent Garden Market. Um, he joins us now uh, to uh, talk about all this. Uh, Chris, I appreciate the time today. Thank you very much.
9: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for calling. I appreciate it.
7: So, how is the beef supply chain holding up right now?
9: So far, so good. Um, like you mentioned, Cargill is in Lakeside, which is the other side of Calgary, uh, are responsible for a big chunk of the Canadian beef industry um lakeside is still open although apparently they have some cases not many but some and they're taking measures to distance the on the line and all that sort of thing that they need to do uh cargill chose to close because they had a huge spike um they are set to reopen as you said so far so good um a lot of their stuff is exported it's not necessarily sold in canada so the numbers are somewhat skewed a little bit for the average guy to try and understand um Our supplier here, which is Norwich Packers out in Norwich, south of Woodstock, Uh, as soon as the news broke, they were getting calls from all over the place. Uh, They've been very good. We've been with them for over 20 years. So they just told us point blank that they would look after all the little guys that are there every year for them, and everybody else will have to wait. If there's product left, there's product left. But so far, there's been no shortages. The,
7: I guess, one of this is, you know, good quotations. One of the good parts about you know, restaurants being closed right now is they're not ordering maybe as much food, much meat as possible. That alleviates some possible pressures on the supply chain. Obviously, you don't want anyone to be closed right now, but given that, does that maybe allow for some wiggle room with uh, the supply chain, do you think?
9: Uh, a little bit, but most of the restaurants buy from the big guys who are already buying it, anyways. Um, so, they buy from the big food service companies, not uh, not the packing houses themselves. Okay. So there is a little bit of wiggle room or uh, stuff there. However, not a ton. Um, like you said, we really don't want anybody closed, but the fact of life at the moment is that they are. So perhaps it gives them a little bit of space. Not a ton, though. But so far, there's been no shortages. Like my guy, is, uh, he's always found everything we needed. They haven't shorted me any product. Uh, the other butchers that I've talked to in the city, they're in the same position so it might be a little bit different in toronto where they deal with these big guys uh what will happen is because they're responsible for such a large portion of our meat industry it's the chain stores that will have the issue because they buy it from everybody they buy direct from the packing houses they make their own deals and they may be affected by this more than the smaller guys like myself
7: You mentioned uh, some of the other butchers in the sea. What are you hearing from uh, some of uh, your your colleagues in the sea and how things are going with all this? We're almost two months into it now.
9: Well, most of us have had to change our business model, obviously. Uh, For us in particular, we've gone to an online ordering system and we run deliveries. And we're closed a couple days a week, even though the market itself is open. We are not physically open. Uh, so we just do online orders and deliveries. The gentleman next to me, Mark's Fine Meats, here in the market, they do the same thing, although they are open for walk-in sales as well. Uh, I've talked to a couple of the other guys, and basically they're all doing the same thing. We're all just trying to find a way to, you know, make ends meet so that we have a business when this is all over.
7: Is it uh, harder doing it all online? You know, you know, one of the benefits to a butcher is you can, you can you know, have that face-to-face relationship. You can talk. I mean, you can take orders online or you can call and, and, and talk it through normally, but it's nice to have that kind of personal relationship and just talk it through.
9: That's what we we thrive on. Um, I quite enjoy... Initially, my wife and I looked at this and going, well, we could just rent a small space and just do online orders. We could become an online butcher shop. And then I looked at it and said, you know... I like talking to people. I like this face-to-face, the, you know, the bantering back and forth. You get to know all your regular customers. You can you know have a, a little jocularity in the morning with them on a Saturday morning, all that kind of thing. You know what they like and what they don't like. Uh, so we'll have somebody come in and ask for that roast there, and I'll say, no, you don't like that roast. You want this one, and this is why you want this one. And that's the sort of thing you get, but you don't get with the online part.
7: Do you think online might become a bigger part for butchers in general and maybe yourself after this wanting to go back to that more personal approach or is the online it is there but it's not really this this the real reason you're a butcher?
9: Yeah, it won't be the it'll be there. We're gonna continue deliveries. Um, it's not gonna be the main focus of our business. I would prefer people came in and saw us and and did the whole thing, you know, the whole face to face and bannering back and forth thing. I really like that. Uh, so we will continue with the deliveries. Um, we will continue with the online. We had a small online presence, anyways, before, so it wasn't a huge shift for us to go that way now. But it will be. It'll still be there, just not as big as it what it is right now.
7: As we've uh, said, you are doing uh, you know online uh, business right now. If people would like to uh, contact you and and uh, do some business, how can they do that?
9: Uh, the easiest way and the is the uh, through the website, which is ChrisCountryCuts.com. Um, because all the orders are, there's an order form there. There's a link on the front page to take you to the order form. It goes to my phone so I can see it right away and get back with any questions and all that sort of thing, and it keeps all the orders right together for me. So that's the easiest way. They can try calling the shop if they like, but it's a little hit and miss. Um, you know, you had to call me three days ago to get this interview set up, so, you know, it's, I'm not always here.
7: You're busy. We're all busy. Uh, I, hope, well, I hope you stay busy. I mean, that's, uh, that's, we all need to stay busy and stay in business in this. Hopefully, and, uh.
9: hopefully so. I mean, you mentioned the seafood, and it's, it's a bit of a hit and miss as well. Uh, we deal with a guy in St. Thomas, and he's, he said there's lots of fresh products so far. We're not running out of anything. Uh, our pork supplier had, had an issue. They shut down this week, same as Cargill did. They're going to be reopened next week. Uh, we were fortunate we got a delivery at the end of last week, so we're set for this week. So, we didn't, it didn't affect us at all. So, everything so far, it hasn't really affected us in terms of supply.
7: I'm glad, uh, Chris. I appreciate it and uh, stay safe.
9: Thank you, sir. You as well.
7: That is Chris Lyons, co owner of Chris's uh, Country Cuts and one of the uh, local businesses, uh, finding a way to make it through all this. And certainly, uh, the local businesses in our community in southwestern Ontario, in Ontario as a whole country uh, as a as a nationwide uh, situation uh, all important to the backbone of this country and we got to support that local business Uh, we will take a break we come back we'll have more of the morning show with devin peacock on global news radio 980 cfpl good morning welcome back everybody Cloudy showers this morning. 60% chance of showers late this afternoon, uh, late this morning and this afternoon. High of 15. Showers tonight, uh, low of 6. I want to give a shout-out for our our local business shout-out today for April 30th, courtesy of Ontario West Insurance Brokers, proudly supported by the London Police Association. Uh, Today's uh, local business shout-out goes to GameCycle. They have two locations in London, one at 972 Hamilton Road, the other at 79 Warncliffe Road South. Uh, You can uh, find them online at GameCycle.ca. With everything going digital, well, game Cycle is offering a, a throwback to a simpler time. If you um, stop by their two London locations and pick up a DVD or a video game, you can actually hold in your hand. Uh, they do have uh, some customer service uh, to uh, get by in this uh, COVID-19 uh, times. So GameCycle.ca is uh, the website. Their uh, Hamilton location is uh, 972 Hamilton Road, Phone number is 519-601-1299. Their Wharncliffe Road location is uh, 79 warncliffe Road South. 519-601-8990 is the phone number to get them. And then uh, GameCycle.ca is the website to visit to get all the uh, details you need on them as they operate during these COVID-19 times. And as we were just talking in the segment before, we need to support our local business premier doug ford is urging people in neighboring provinces as well as the united states not to cross the borders ontario continues to deal with the spread of COVID 19. he said yesterday and i quote we don't want people right now coming across the border i love quebecers i love people from manitoba but stay at home this goes for the u.s as well many businesses in quebec are slated to reopen in early May. Elementary schools and daycares are expected to resume operations May 11th. Quebec Premier Francois Legault said on Tuesday, the spread of the virus appears to be mostly under control outside of their long-term care homes. Ford said while he respects Legault and the decision he makes, he does not want to risk the health of Ontarians by encouraging travel between the provinces. On Wednesday, Ontario health officials reported the lowest single-day increase of COVID-19 in uh, just over three weeks. Ford said, well, the numbers are showing a positive trend. He is still waiting before assigning any dates to reopen the economy. He stressed that anyone who does not live in Ontario should stay in the province or country they live in. This is not the first time he has strongly condemned border crossings. Uh, back uh, earlier this month, he fired back at U.S. President Donald Trump for indicating that they could soon... Uh, undo some of the restrictions at the border between canada and united states obviously that did not come to pass something interesting is happening though around the province and i think it's going to become even more of an issue the warmer it gets canadians with second homes have been told to stay put which makes sense you don't want to overwhelm smaller communities with an increase in demand be it at the grocery store or the hospital wherever we've uh, seen you know people in you know the southwestern ontario region who have a second home people objecting uh, to those people going to their second home seeing you know cars they don't normally see a bit busier in some of those uh, areas the question i think is if you own a second home if you own land you bought a home you pay taxes How are you going to stop people from going there? I understand the recommendations, but as we start to talk about loosening restrictions, as the weather gets better, I think you're going to see this more and more. Up in uh, cottage country, I've seen some stories about signs going up, just really illustrating the divide between seasonal residents and full-time residents. Township of Muskoka Lakes has removed some signs in the area warning people not to enter if they are not full-time residents. Uh, the sign said, stop full-time residents only beyond this point. All Ontario residents should self-isolate at their principal residence. The uh, mayor up for uh, Muskoka Lakes said the signs posted on public property removed because they contravened a bylaw that requires a permit. However, he says there is nothing the township can do about removing signs on private property tensions have risen on social media between local residents and seasonal residents across the province, wherever you have these sort of divides as restrictions uh, do uh, ramp up in an effort to control the spread. Cottagers are allowed to visit their properties to uh, check on them, but they are asked to self isolate upon arrival and bring their own supplies. However, it's being strongly discouraged at this point to not visit right now. I just, as I say, I don't, see how you stop a person from going to one part of the province to another unless you severely clamp down which would mean you're making distancing guidelines even harsher than what we have right now which is not the way things are trending even if we wanted to do that how many of us live in one area but work in another you travel to one part of the region or the other so you live in London, but you you live in St. Thomas, you work in London. You live in the county, but you work in London, or vice versa, or something like that. When you talk about not wanting to overwhelm services, I mean, we all use services in some cases that you don't pay for through your taxes. How many people from the county come to London to go to malls when they're open, grocery stores, what, whatever? driving on our roads don't pay taxes here use community services don't pay you know for the water I mean I'm not saying people shouldn't I'm just saying we are so interconnected I understand some of the concerns you know full-time residents in these locations have I just think it's difficult especially when you have a person who owns property and pays property tax. How do you stop that person? I don't think you do. And as it gets warmer and warmer, this issue is going to grow even more. I understand the rationale, but I think it's just going to be difficult to enforce, especially if the guidelines are relaxing. Now, you would want people to use common sense. If it it starts to get worse in the summer, in a hypothetical situation here, then then we're almost forced to kind of regress to where we're we are now, or some facsimile of that. That's a different situation. But as things, if we start to have these phases, if we go from phase one to phase two, maybe at the end of phase two, in a perfect scenario, we get to phase three near the end of the summer, thereabouts, based on the two to four weeks, you know, who knows how this goes. Maybe it's a different situation, but I just don't know how you stop people from going. I understand the concerns. But uh, you got a lot of people around here who have uh, second homes or they share second homes or there's some facsimile of that. It's difficult, especially when you've got people who pay taxes. And you're not going to get a reduction on your taxes. That's not happening. We'll stop for news. When we come back, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Good morning.
0: Good morning, it's 8 o'clock. I'm Scott Monick in downtown London. It's mostly cloudy. We are sitting at 11 degrees. A search is underway after a Canadian military helicopter crashed into the Mediterranean Sea during a NATO exercise. We'll have more coming up, but first, we'll check in with the Lexus of London Traffic Centre and Nick Van Overloop.
1: Main and side roads are trouble-free across the city this morning. No issues if you're traveling the major highways through the city, west to Sarnia and east to Woodstock and Brantford. As always, if you see a traffic tie-up or collision, call us hands-free at 519-931-6098. And
2: now from the Bentley Hearing Services Weather Center, here's John Wilson. The high of 15. Today will be normal for the date, but we do have sprawling low pressure coming through the Great Lakes at a snail's pace And it's weakening and opening up, so the rain in it isn't steady. It's just more like a few scattered showers today now and more tonight. 15, the high, that's normal for the date, and 6 tonight. And then chance of showers again tomorrow before this low trundles off into Quebec. It'll take a long time, partly sunny and 15 tomorrow afternoon if we're lucky. Otherwise, we wait till Saturday, mostly sunny and a very nice 18, and Sunday partly sunny and 18. Today's high, 15. Right now, we are sitting at 11
0: degrees. The COVID-19 pandemic is taking a major financial toll on London's public transit system. In a unanimous vote yesterday, the London Transit Commission extended its plan to have riders board an exit at the rear of the bus, meaning fares can't be collected. LTC Chair Phil Squire tells 980 CFPL the shortfall in revenue has forced the LTC to dip into two reserve funds.
3: We've used all of our money in terms of our reserves and and money that we have been able to allocate out of our budget. By the end of May, we're going to be in a really tough circumstance in terms of where do we get the money to continue to operate the system. But, you know, there's going to be some hard things we may have to do going forward in June. The
0: LTC has been operating on a reduced schedule and has seen a 30% drop in ridership as a result of the pandemic. The provincial government is expanding emergency child care for a second time to more essential workers. Another 37 daycare centers are opening to accommodate parents who work in retirement homes, grocery stores, and pharmacies. Child care centers were closed back in March under COVID-19 emergency orders, but 100 were reopened for the children of frontline health care and emergency service workers. The federal government has so far promised $145 billion in funding for COVID-19 emergency aid programs. Well, Canadians will get an update today on just how close that figure will be to the final sticker price. The parliamentary budget officer is scheduled to post costing notes on two of the bigger programs, the CERB and the wage subsidy program. Greece's Prime Minister is expressing his condolences as rescuers continue their search for a Canadian military helicopter that crashed into the Mediterranean Sea during a NATO exercise. Late yesterday, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and the Canadian Armed Forces confirmed the aircraft was lost and a search and rescue operation was underway. It has not been disclosed how many were on board the CH-148 Cyclone at the time of the crash, but the CAF says they have contacted family members for each of the crew. You can add french fries to the list of foods that may be wasted during this time of pandemic. Some 200 million pounds of Canadian french fry potatoes stuck in storage without any place to go. Global's Dave Wooder tells us that has some potato farmers very concerned.
1: While regular potatoes and potato chips are seeing an uptick in sales during the pandemic, french fry potatoes designed and bred specifically for the fryer are slowly rotting away in storage. The reason? We're just not eating them. With most restaurants closed, people aren't ordering them, and having fries delivered just isn't the same as eating them fresh. Earlier this week, Belgium asked its citizens to eat fries twice weekly to avoid food waste. Canada's potato farmers say that's a good idea, but Canadians would have to put away a lot more fries than that in order to reach the same goal. Dave Woodard, Global News.
0: Time now for sports. Powered by Hanford's Tire and Service, Derek Jeter was a first ballot Hall of Famer a few months ago, but he will have to wait an extra year to be inducted at Cooperstown. The Hall of Fame has announced that it has canceled the July 26 induction ceremony. Time now for a market minute and from the eWorkplace Business Center, here is Rob Westgate.
6: Canada's main stock index soared yesterday, reaching an almost eight-week high as the energy sector surged, despite producers posting big losses while cutting oil production. Toronto's S&P TSX gained 429 points to close at 15,228. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 532 points, closing at 24,633, while the Nasdaq rose as well, up 306 points, closing at 8,914. Asian markets are in the positive this morning, with Japan's Nikkei finishing up 422 points at 20,193. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong is actually closed for a holiday. And the loonie is trading overseas at 72.04 cents U.S.
0: Coming up next, more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL.
7: Welcome back, everybody. We are into the third hour of the program. Cloudy showers this morning. 60% chance of showers late this morning and this afternoon. High of 15. Showers tonight, low of 6. A coronavirus vaccine is still months or years away, but groups that uh, peddle misinformation about uh, immunizations are already uh, taking aim at them. Uh, potentially eroding confidence in what could be a uh, fantastic chance, the best chance to defeat the virus. In recent weeks, vaccine opponents have made several unsubstantiated claims, including allegations that vaccine trials have been uh, dangerously rushed out. We've seen them uh, out of the United States, but also in uh, Canada. Uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci is one of the uh, top uh, targets for some of these. There have been... um, Conspiracy theories that he's blocking cures to enrich uh, vaccine makers. Uh, I've got people on my social media, you may have as well, uh, claiming uh, Bill Gates wants to use a vaccine to inject uh, microchips into people or to call 15% of the world's population. Vaccine opponents in the United States and Canada have been around for a long time. Their claims range from relatively modest uh, concerns, to some pretty severe uh, concerns and conspiracy theories. A recent study in Canada found one in 10 Canadians believe a coronavirus related conspiracy, while a poll earlier this week found only 60% of respondents in this country believe a vaccine should be mandatory. To talk about this, we're joined by Dr. Scott Ratson. He's a physician and medical misinformation expert at uh, City University of New York and Columbia University. I appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much.
10: Yeah, well, thank you, Devin. I'm happy to speak with you and your audience today.
7: Fear can be a powerful emotion. Is that what leads to some of the vaccine hesitancy that we tend to see?
10: Well, unfortunately, uh, we have this vaccine hesitancy, which has risen to one of the top 10 challenges on the World Health Organization's list back in 2019. And even though this originally showed up with measles and and other vaccinations that have been routine for years, it's already spilled over to the potential coronavirus vaccine. And I think you're right, Devin, to say that fear is one of the uh, challenges that we face. But it's not only fear, it's just uh, a whole other challenge that anti-vaccination folks have been able to put in people's minds that these are unsafe or that they're poisoning, or as you just said in the intro, that they have microchips or some other odd pieces of uh, technology that really don't exist.
7: Are you surprised there are large numbers of people who uh, suggest they may not be getting the vaccine once one has been developed?
10: Well, unfortunately, uh, we are not surprised to see this. Again, as vaccine hesitancy has been pointed out, By the world health organization on the flip side a vaccine confidence index that heidi larson at the london school of hygiene and tropical medicine has been publishing each year shows that confidence in vaccines has been going down in many countries and unfortunately when we have polled here in new york city and new york state we've seen fewer than 60 percent willing to take a coronavirus vaccine if it were available uh, and that's a, going to be a big problem if we cannot get people vaccinated uh, when and hopefully within the next two years we have a viable, safe and effective vaccine.
7: Especially since, you know, vaccines have been around for so long. I think sometimes we forget how important they are to our health, but also how, uh, how long of a track record of safety and, and good health they do have.
10: I mean, absolutely. Uh, This is an 18th century innovation. When we first uh, uh, had smallpox, uh, cowpox vaccine, hence the name Vaccinia, and then vaccines came from it. That was the um, infectious agent. They've been around for centuries, yet we're unable to make them part of, like taking a a pill or a drug or a vitamin supplement, that people see this as, as safe and effective. The other thing to think about vaccines is we have eradicated smallpox from the planet because there was a vaccine. Polio is nearly eradicated because there has been a vaccine, both a Salk and Sabin vaccine. We may never get rid of coronavirus unless we have a viable vaccine. Uh, and we need to have a population that's willing to take the, the vaccine and willing to have what we call community immunity or community protection rather than, you know, sometimes we hear the word herd immunity, but we think that a vaccine is as important as putting uh, police on the street or having fire brigades. Um, this is an important part of how we protect the community and protect each other and have solidarity for um, better health as the only common currency that we have in the world.
7: What are the impacts of this medical misinformation?
10: Well, uh I think the impacts could be huge if we see the the two trillion dollars that have lost uh, to the world economy uh, with with the current COVID nineteen um, pandemic. Uh, I think the misinformation shows up in other other areas as well. Uh, people that are unfortunately trying different so called cures or treatments that could be uh, disinformation, whether it was disinfecting to bleach to cure something, whether it was garlic for HIV AIDS, whether it was a variety of these other misinformation pieces that sometimes come from policymakers and politicians that might have different interests than public health physicians or even you know, um, people in the media who you know, want to inform the public uh, effectively with the proper information and the best knowledge that we have, whether it's in the uh, national institutes of health, whether it's in, uh, in a Canadian institution, uh, it could be a local university. We have some excellent people, not only, uh, in uh, universities in the United States, but really
7: around the world. It's uh, it's surprising sometimes. You know, we've been following what's been happening in New York. Our hearts go out. I mean, it's it's been devastating uh, to see so few people, um, you know, you know, really thinking about this. And, and a vaccine is um, is a little, even knowing all of this is still a bit surprising, just given how hard the state has been hit.
10: Well, Devin, um, the City University of New York and the School of Public Health, that's where we have created this tracking survey. So for seven weeks, we've been looking at New Yorkers' feelings and beliefs on everything from their housing, from food security, uh, if they paid their rent, if they're um, interested in uh, getting a vaccine, uh, to uh, the whole mental health of anxiety, uh, loneliness, and so forth. And unfortunately we found this all you know, trending in the direction that's that's fairly obvious with a with a pandemic of this type, that it's it's only got worse in most of those, but we're hoping that you know it's not getting not gonna continue to get worse. But the piece that stood out from us in, in last week's poll and that was done over this weekend of uh, one thousand New Yorkers, was this vaccine piece again that only fifty nine percent would get vaccinated and then you asked them if you would vaccinate the children, and it's even a lower number, fifty three percent. And then we asked them if there were a clinical trial, for example, you know, for a vaccine. So when a vaccine is tested, first it's in, in lab and then in animals and then in humans. Only about a third said they would participate in a trial. So this is going to be another issue of uh, before you want to uh, have an entire population vaccinated, you need to do a fairly significant trial with thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people around the world before you have millions and over a million vaccinated in the future. So we have a a work cut out for us of how we communicate better that people realize that vaccines may be the only saving that we have to get back to our next normal, uh, a a vaccinated, uh, protected world.
7: Indeed, uh, Scott, I certainly appreciate your time today. Uh, Stay safe.
10: Thank you, you too, Devon, and your listeners. I think we're hopefully getting the right message. I think things are getting better with the social distancing, with um, obviously the hand-washing, masks when appropriate, and uh, hopefully everybody, not to forget, we're talking about a a coronavirus vaccine in 2021, but in this flu season, even in 2020, we could protect ourselves by getting the the seasonal flu vaccine, which also protects us from uh, uh, the flu that... uh, also can can uh, cause harm and, and problems. So uh, thank you very much for the opportunity to speak with you. And uh, if people want to look at our, our survey, it's there on the City University of New York uh, website and our general health communication, uh, jhcimpact.com. Uh, I'm happy to, to talk more in the future, Devin, or you or any of your uh, uh, listeners are, are interested in getting more information.
7: Definitely. We'll stay in touch. I appreciate the time. Okay, that thank is, you very much. Have
10: a good day there. That again. is...
7: You as well. That is Dr. Scott Ratson, physician and medical misinformation effort, expert at City University of New York and Columbia University. We need to pause we come back. We'll have more of the morning show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. A week after it was announced, the House of Commons approved a $9 billion financial aid package uh, for students faced with bleak job prospects this summer due to COVID-19. Opposition parties gave unanimous consent for the package yesterday to win opposition support. The government made some changes uh, to what was originally announced, including increasing the monthly benefit for students with dependents and disabilities to $2,000. As it had been initially uh, proposed a week ago, Eligible post-secondary students and recent graduates who have uh, seen their education and job prospects hampered by the pandemic will receive uh, $1,250 a month from May to August for those who have a disability or are taking care of someone else. Uh, That goes uh, to increase uh, a little bit higher. Uh, While it has been approved by the House of Commons, it still needs to be approved by the Senate. That will happen tomorrow. Earlier this month, we talked to Western USC Vice President Catherine Dunn about this. She joins us now to follow up. I appreciate you coming back on with us today. Thank you very much.
11: Thanks for having me again, Devin.
7: What are your thoughts on the bill that was approved by the federal government yesterday?
11: I mean, overall, we're really excited um, about the financial aid package. Um, Obviously, tomorrow marks the beginning of summer um, when students were beginning to, or were planning to begin their full time work, um, moving to a new city, paying a new rent. Um, So it's really important that it was passed yesterday. um, And now we're hoping that it will get in the hands of students as fast as possible so that they can get the support that they need.
7: Were you worried it would not go through?
11: We had heard um, that there was going to be some thoughts brought up from the opposition. We knew that the new Democrats um, wanted to kind of increase the benefit, and we really welcomed um, that increase for students with dependents and students with disabilities. Um, Over the past week, we've heard feedback from our students that the um, 1750 wasn't quite enough, so we're really glad that they're going to be getting the same support um, as other Canadians who may be accessing um, the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit. And obviously, we heard um, feedback from the Bloc and um, the Conservatives as well, um, concerns about incentives to work so we're happy that everyone was able to kind of come to a compromise uh, and pass the bill in order to help students get the support they need
7: it seems like the package does include some of the recommendations that uh you know groups like uh, usc had been pushing for with some of your uh, cohorts across the the, the country uh, do you think this will address some of the concerns students had about rent utility and tuition
11: absolutely we've heard from so many of our students um, over the past week to reach out and say, thank you, this is going to help so much. Um, and what they have been saying is what we um, were saying in advance, that it's really just the immediate expenses that this is going to cover. Um, this is meant to be a bridge um, for students, just like the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit is meant to be a bridge for other Canadians in order to pay their expenses um, over the coming weeks as we still struggle with um, the pandemic um, and with the, obviously, um, economic shocks that that brings. Um, And there's still going to be gaps when it comes to kind of um, affording tuition in the fall, which is why we're really glad that this is a comprehensive package um, that has opportunities for jobs for students and increases in grants and things like that.
7: Watching the debate unfold in Ottawa, there was a concern there might not be enough incentives for students to look for a job this summer because of some of the aid packages out there. What did you make of that discussion that was uh, taking place during all of this?
11: Yeah, thanks, Devin. To be honest with you, I really don't think that students need incentives to work. Um, When we think about the amount of the Canadian Emergency Student Benefit, um, it equates to about $7.80 an hour if students were working full-time. And when we surveyed our Western students, only three students told us that they weren't looking for work and had no plans to work over the summer. Um, So students want to work. They rely on that work to pay for their education and their immediate expenses. And what the Canadian Emergency Student Benefit is going to do is it's going to help students with those immediate expenses that now they might not be able to be afforded. But if there are jobs out there, students, will be taking them. Um, I think we really have to trust um, that students are going to be participating in their communities just like they've already been volunteering when they're able to. Because I think that what's um, a problem about kind of the narrative about um, incentives to work is Some students are actually in really precarious situations where they're immunocompromised or they have a family member that's immunocompromised or maybe they have two children that they have to take care of and obviously now um, there's no childcare, everyone's staying home, um, who won't be able to work. So I think that those... um, experiences have to be captured, and we have to elevate those narratives um, when we hear concerns about incentives. But trust me, if there are jobs out there, students will take them. Um, A lot of students are worried about how they're going to pay their educational expenses um, for the following year, just like all Canadians, um, and I know they want to step up to help their communities.
7: This uh, package, like a lot of the ones we've seen for the federal government, you know, runs up until August. Depending on how long this goes, how the reopening of the economy goes, uh, do you think another aid package might be required if this, you know, goes into the fall, into the winter and even to next year?
11: Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on how the pandemic plays out um, and how that impacts our economy. Um, If we are still social distancing come September um, and there's no work and students obviously are still going to have rent and utility and food um, payments to make, um, then absolutely we're going to need support like all other Canadians. But obviously it's it's too early to tell um, where coronavirus is going to take us um, come the fall.
7: Well, I certainly appreciate your time today. Thank you very much.
11: Thank you very much, Devin.
7: That is Catherine Dunn, Western USC Vice President. We need to uh, take a pause. When we come back, we'll have more of the morning show. With Devin Peacock on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Good morning. Welcome back to the program, everyone. Cloudy showers this morning, 60% chance of showers late this morning and this afternoon. High of 15 showers tonight, low of six. Partly sunny tomorrow, high of 15 once again. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says, well, there could be a role for using apps and virtual tracking to Trace coronavirus cases in Canada, those measures would likely need to be voluntary to earn public support. In a daily briefing with journalists on Wednesday, Trudeau was asked about the possibility of using measures like digital contact tracing and apps to try and limit the spread of coronavirus as some regions move towards easing lockdown restrictions. He said the focus of any new tools would need to be on respecting the privacy of Canadians. Trudeau said countries around the world have different levels of respect for people's privacy and suggested measures taken elsewhere would not necessarily gain support in Canada. Anne Kavukian is Ontario's former privacy commissioner. She is now a senior fellow for the Ted Rogers Leadership Centre at Ryerson University. She joins me now to talk about this. I appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much.
12: My pleasure, Devin. Thank you.
7: Tracking uh, coronavirus cases through apps in a virtual way is something other countries have done. What would be your thoughts if Canada were to uh, do it?
12: I would urge them not to go the route of, for example, Singapore, where everything is tracked. You have no privacy whatsoever. Identifiers are linked to the tracking, and it just wipes out your privacy and your freedom. We can use another method. There are a number of methods now out there. Uh, One in Europe, one that was just recently uh, developed by Apple, Google, who partnered together to develop, instead of calling it contact tracing, they're calling it exposure notification. So people can be notified when they've been exposed to someone who has COVID positive, COVID-19 positive. And it's brilliant. And you can check it out. It's all open source. So you can go check it out for yourself I've talked to Apple twice about all the details associated with it, and no personal information is obtained. No personal identifiers linked to the individual using it or linked to the individual who is self-reporting that they're COVID-19 positive. None of that is captured, and geolocation data is not captured either. So it's totally privacy protective, but again, informs individuals if they've been in close proximity to individuals who are COVID-positive.
7: That's really interesting because so often when you know, I think we think of the the, the discussion about uh, technology versus uh, privacy, It's you got to trade off one yeah. for the other, but with that, yeah. that doesn't happen.
12: And, Devin, that's what I, I just object to so strongly is that zero-sum model of either-or, uh, win-lose, tech or privacy, public health versus privacy. Get rid of the versus. And let's approach this in terms of multiple positive gains. We want privacy and tech, privacy and public health. We can do both. And that's what I'm urging people to change their mindset, get rid of the false dichotomy, and embrace both interests.
7: Have we been doing a good enough uh, job of having that type of discussion? Because this type of issue comes up in many different ways, you know, pre-pandemic, and I'm sure it'll come back post-pandemic. But it seems like that that trade-off is always at the center of those discussions.
12: You're so right. And this is what I'm working so (laughs) tirelessly trying to get rid of that mindset. We've been trying to get rid of this for like 20 years. Privacy by design is something I developed years ago, is all about getting rid of that zero-sum, either-or mindset that you have to have a trade-off. You don't have to have to have a trade-off. I've talked to many uh, cryptographers and senior tech people, and they all tell me it's a false dichotomy, uh, dealing with unnecessary trade-offs. Get rid of that model. Let's make it a win-win with multiple positive gains. We can do this.
7: When we look, you know, at the example of uh, Singapore or certainly China with, you know, oh, how much uh, yeah. the, the, you know, invasion of privacy is there. Yeah. I, th- I think sometimes when we talk about issues, th- not just on privacy, but uh, people will use a slippery slope analogy. But with technology and privacy, when we look at some of what other countries are doing, I wonder if the slippery slope is a good analogy for that. Because once you start to have those programs, it's hard to dial them back.
12: You're absolutely right. China, they have a social credit system where they give you they, they give points to people um, and they remove points for people who jaywalk, for example, and other things. It, it's absurd. There's zero freedom. And forget about privacy. We can't tolerate that in our free and open society. We don't want to morph into the China social credit system where everything is monitored and tracked and surveillance abounds. That's not freedom. We cannot have that. But we have ways in which we can achieve multiple positive gains, and I'm urging our governments and our public to embrace that.
7: What are some of the challenges, do you think, in terms of getting people to change our focus of that conversation so it's not zero-sum when we're talking about Google and Apple, and we have yeah. such a predominance in this country to using, you know, um, mobile apps, uh, Facebook, whatever the case might be. We give away some of our data willingly yeah. already. People are predispositioned to think that something is happening when we do this, even if there can be uh, better ways to track that there is transparency, there is privacy. How do we uh, relieve people of the concerns they're going to have if we say, okay, that doesn't have to be a concern in this sort of situation here? Uh,
12: you have to look at the technology that's being used. It's open source, and I know most people are not in a position to do that. Um, I have done that. I, I invite others to do that, by all means. You know, I don't work for Apple or go Google. I, I just do this, hopefully, as a trusted individual that People will look to, in terms of, we can have privacy and, in this case, public health. And you have
1: to—I
12: don't even say trust me. You ha- you go look at it yourself. But if you don't, um, pick some figures, some individuals who you do trust, and know that I would never say this is trustworthy uh, in terms of protecting privacy if it wasn't. I've been at this business for over 20 years, but I do believe. There are new models in tech that we can explore. I mean, Apple has had end-to-end encryption for a long time. They've resisted government efforts like James Comey, attorney general a couple of years ago, in terms of giving them new keys so that they can break the technology. We have trusted members that we have to rely on. But again, if you're in a position to look at the uh, code, look at it. It's open source. This is what we have to encourage.
7: It would be wonderful because that would be, I mean, the technology is central to, I think, a lot of how we can get over this. We've seen deficiencies in other areas of our response to this, but technology can make up for a lot of that. And if people could have that trust uh, with some of those programs, I think, you know, that's uh, that'd be a huge step forward.
12: That's what we have to strive for. And we can do this. We have to make it a win-win. And I just know we can do this if we get everyone on the same page.
7: And I appreciate your time and your perspective today. Thank you very much.
12: My pleasure, as always. Thank you, Devin.
7: That is Anne kavukian Ontario's former privacy commissioner she is one of the uh, most foremost uh, privacy experts around not just for Ontario or the country uh, like you know or like she she knows wherever she speaks and so I um, always appreciate having a chance to have uh, Anne kavukian on the program we will pause when we come back we'll have more of the morning show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. good morning Welcome back, everybody. Our local business shout-out for today, courtesy of Ontario West Insurance Brokers, proudly supported by the London Police Association, goes to a Game Cycle. They have two locations in London, one at 972 Hamilton Road. Uh, phone number is 519-601-1299. The other at 79 Warrencliffe Road South. Their phone number is 519-601-8990. You can find them online at GameCycle.com dot ca we certainly appreciate all local businesses who are uh, finding a way to adjust to these pandemic times let's end with some uh, not so serious stories uh, during uh, the coronavirus outbreak a guy in new jersey passed out uh, crashed into a tree so he, he was driving Passed out, crashed into a tree. Uh, Police believe it was not a drunk driving or a drug situation. He had been wearing an N95 mask for several hours while driving, and they believe he did not get enough oxygen. So kind of a scary story. Uh, But uh, did survive the crash. But if you are wearing that mask out there, I mean, be careful. And certainly you don't necessarily have to be wearing it while you're driving. Someone called the cops when they saw a sign in the window that said help. Turned out the sign was a a 10-year-old girl who needed help with her math homework. (laughs) So the sign was uh, accurate. When deputies arrived, they learned the 10-year-old girl's mother sent her to her room to finish her assignment. And she decided she needed an unorthodox approach to solve it, according to the sheriff's office. Deputies learned she wrote the impassioned plea on a piece of paper and placed it in the window of her bedroom. Uh, police say, while we were happy to know that no one was in danger, we totally relate to the frustration that comes to uh, math homework. A deputy provided the family with his personal cell phones, and the child can call any time with homework questions to avoid another scary call to service. I mean, that's nice, but be careful what you ask for. Uh, this next story is one of my absolute favorites. I just, I can't begin to tell you guys how much I love this story. A small library in England, hired someone to give it a deep clean while it's closed during the lockdown. And the cleaner decided to rearrange all the books based on size. (laughs) They weren't trying to screw with the library either. The cleaner went into the library, I'm guessing for the first time in their life, saw all the books were out of order in terms of size. And rearrange the books in order of size. <laughs> this is uh, the library in uh, Suffolk. It's the New Mar- Newmarket Library. People, uh, staff went back into uh, the library after the cleaning had been done, and noticed that the books were all out of order. Staff say it's going to take a quote bit of time to correct it. They did not want to uh, single out who did the cleaning because it was an honest, honest mistake, and they didn't want her uh, to feel bad about it. But the fact that the books were rearranged by size is just, you know, chef kiss. That's fantastic. That, that would have taken such a long time. Forget the cleaning. Just rearranging the books would have taken forever. Here's one benefit of uh, social distancing. The spread of STDs has plummeted, or STIs, as I guess they're now called. Now, this is from New York, but I would say this would uh, apply pretty much everywhere. Um, The number of uh, sexually transmitted diseases has uh, plummeted in New York since uh, early March. So the stats they have show it falling by 80%. Again, I don't have stats uh, for, for London or Ontario, But I would imagine something similar has taken place in terms of uh, number of STIs we've seen. A terrible story out of Northern California where an official from uh, the uh, city there had to resign after a Zoom meeting showed him drinking on the call and then tossing his cat across the room. The meeting occurred April 20th. And in the video, Planning Commissioner Chris Platzer can be seen drinking an alcoholic beverage. At one point in the video, he says, I'd like to introduce you to my cat, holds up his pet to the camera, and then throws it off screen. So many of the people on the call laughed. One person buried his face in his hands. In response, the city sought his removal, and he was let go on Tuesday of this week. A weird uh, new term was uh, born this week in Chicago. I hope you're not um, eating your cereal for this. Chicago's public health director says swimming pools are not a great idea during the crisis and introduced the term fecal shedding. The health director said swimming pools during the coronavirus are not a good idea and I'll quote her here. She said, we do, we do regulate pools, and if we want to get the different microbes that exist within pools, different swimming pools, we can do that. But definitely the practice of obviously being in a swimming pool, unfortunately, we do know that there is some fecal shedding of this coronavirus. As she was saying this, she began to laugh. So I guess that's a positive, that she saw the humor in fecal shedding. But still, not a term I knew before this. I'm guessing you didn't know it either, but here we are. There was a protest in Madison, Wisconsin recently to open up businesses. The funny thing was there were so many people on the streets, several restaurants and shops in the area had to close to protect their staff. So the protest to get people back to work resulted in fewer people working because there were too many people on the streets. Uh, One idea I've heard, uh, I've had some friends with uh, kids say they're doing, these are older kids, not, you know, young kids, is they've had them uh, start a journal to write down what this experience has been like. Um, So it's a good idea. Apparently, a lot of people are doing it right now, writing journals, even doing video journals. So it's something you can consider a thing you want to do with the kids. I thought it'd be kind of neat to do a time capsule, reopen it 100 years Give everyone else an idea of what it was like 100 years ago during the coronavirus. The only problem, of course, is um, I wouldn't want to infect everyone with coronavirus in 100 years, but uh, and to a certain degree, that's their problem, not our problem, right? I won't be around in 100 years. My thanks to Benjamin Hill, to Jennifer Flanagan, to Chris Lyons, to Dr. Scott Ratson, and Ann Kavukian for coming on the show, as well as Catherine Dunn. Jacqueline Carbone is our content producer. Nick Van Overloop is our technical producer. Andy Bingle and Steve Spruill are engineers. Stay tuned for the Craig Needle Show coming up next, followed by London Live with Mike Stubbs and the afternoon show with Jess Brady. Have a great day. Stay safe. We'll be back in 21 hours.